Gun violence is a major public health issue in our community. In fact, this is a public health crisis that happens to have deadly consequences that we need to address comprehensively. Enter 414 Life, a collaborative program aimed at addressing the crisis from gun violence prevention, stopping the interpersonal direct violence that we see every day between individuals who may resort to firearms to resolve conflict, to intervention, interventions that reduce the production of harm and ensure that people have access to services, and treatment for both the physical wounds, sheer destruction from the amount of energy carried by a bullet never ceases to amaze me when I operate on patients, and the emotional scars from gun violence. We have patients, they don't go to bed at night, they pace the house and look out the windows, checking to make sure no one is out there to harm them. Learn all about 414 Life inside this edition of CTSI Discovery Radio. Welcome to CTSI Discovery Radio. I'm your host, Brian Belmer. CTSI Discovery Radio is brought to you by the Clinical and Translational Science Institute of Southeast Wisconsin. The CTSI is a consortium of researchers, doctors, scientists, and others representing eight institutions, including the Medical College of Wisconsin, Milwaukee School of Engineering, Marquette University, the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee, Children's Wisconsin, Freighter's Hospital, Versity Blood Center of Wisconsin, and the Zablocki VA Medical Center. The CTSI works collaboratively across all of our member institutions in advancing biomedical research and finding new drugs, treatments, therapeutics, and interventions that are better, faster, and more economical than ever. Our mission is advancing health through research and discovery. It seems hardly a day goes by when you don't hear about a shooting in Milwaukee. And that's because few days come and go without some form of gun violence in some neighborhood community. The good news is, an initiative was launched in 2019 aimed at reducing gun violence by addressing it as a public health issue. It's called 414 Life, and it's the focus of today's show. Reggie Moore is director of the Office of Violence Prevention in the City of Milwaukee Health Department. We spoke with him recently to learn about 414 Life. He begins by telling us that while overall violence is a public health issue in Milwaukee, gun-related violence specifically has reached an even higher, more concerning level in recent years. This is a public health crisis that happens to have deadly consequences that we need to address comprehensively. Therefore, in order to address our public health crisis of gun violence, the 414 Life Program was initiated by the Office of Violence Prevention under his leadership. The 414 Life Program is a violence interruption strategy that was called for in the Blueprint for Peace. Milwaukee's comprehensive plan to address violence as a public health issue. But he adds that 414 Life quickly became a collaborative partnership. We recognize the importance of having a partnership with hospitals in this effort. And so with Freighter and the Medical College of Wisconsin being the only level one trauma center in the city for adults, we figured that that would be a good place to start. Turns out it was an excellent place to start. It didn't take a lot to convince the hospital who have all been extreme champions of the program, who understood and see, unfortunately, every day the carnage of gun violence in our community and are committed to partnering with the community to address this 
from every aspect possible. Also joined by Ascension Health, this partnership is taking on the challenge of reducing gun violence in our community. I see it as a match made in heaven. As we look at the resources, the expertise, and the practice that comes from Freighter and the Medical College of Wisconsin, and matching that with the community intelligence and experience from our community partners and our staff here at the health department, there's a lot of promise in what 401 for Life has done and will continue to do together. In characterizing our issue of gun violence, Reggie Moore says it's twofold. It's a pervasive issue, it's a preventable issue. The same way that we find school shootings intolerable, daily gun violence that we see in urban communities around this country is just as equally intolerable. And we have to rely more than just cops and courts to deal with this issue. We have to deal with it as a public health issue the same way that we're now responding to the opioid crisis. And so understanding that anyone who comes into the hospital is coming in as a victim first and should be treated as such. The 414 Life program doesn't only impact gunshot victims. It's designed to impact everyone in breaking the pipeline of pain resulting from gun violence. Dealing with the high level of trauma in our community, both emotional, psychological, physical, etc., that has gone unhealed, we're seeing a lot of pain and rage that hasn't been addressed. And so there's a lot of proactive outreach, relationship building. It's not hard. You know, the streets talk and people kind of know who individuals are. We're intervening and mediating conflicts that could have resulted in someone being shot. People say it's hard to measure what didn't happen. This is at least one intervention and program where we can track that and where actual lives have been saved. As mentioned, 414 Life is one aspect of the Blueprint for Peace, the City of Milwaukee's comprehensive plan that takes a public health approach in preventing violence, including gun violence. It's not just about the absence of violence. It's about the presence of opportunity. It's about the presence of healing. It's about the presence of safety and justice. There are 30 strategies in the blueprint that span across six goals. And he emphasizes that while efforts toward fulfilling the blueprint's mission are headed up by his office, many groups are involved in the execution of the mission. We're working in communication with groups across all different sectors who are doing work across the six goals and building opportunities for alignment. We see ourselves as a broker and a bridge builder between groups who are advancing strategies in the blueprint to ensure that that alignment occurs. Next, Reggie shares the six goals of the Blueprint for Peace, beginning with stopping the violence. Stopping the interpersonal direct violence that we see every day, whether that be at the hands of the system in terms of police-involved shootings, but then also interpersonal violence between individuals who may resort to firearms to resolve conflict. Promote healing and restorative justice. Interventions and practices that reduce both the production of harm, but then also ensure that people have access to services and supports who have been harmed. Supporting children, youth, and families. That's everything from domestic violence and sexual assault and human trafficking prevention to after-school programs and childcare interventions. So that particular goal spans the entire family structure. Promoting economic opportunity. The stronger that families are and neighborhoods are in terms of economics, the less likelihood there could be around engaging in violent behavior. Fostering safe, strong neighborhoods. If the neighborhood is struggling and the family is struggling and the kids are struggling, that creates an environment for violence to flourish. We see it as sort of a three-legged stool of strong children, strong families, strong neighborhoods. And the sixth goal, strengthening and coordinating gun violence prevention efforts. It's one of the most important. And so we see the critical need to improve the coordination and alignment of this movement in a way that can garner resources and garner policies related to supporting violence prevention in Milwaukee and statewide.
the blueprint identifies several key risk factors for violence. High concentrations of poverty, residential segregation, the breakdown in trust between the community, law enforcement and government. So there's a number of risk factors that are identified. And it also identifies protective factors from violence. Access to social cohesion in a neighborhood, access to affordable childcare, also quality and accessible after-school programs and youth employment for teens can be protective factors for a community in regards to violence prevention. So how is the 414 Life Program preventing gun violence and providing support to victims, families, and neighborhoods? Reggie Moore explains the different roles of people on the community side who make it work. First, there are the outreach workers. They're canvassing, doing outreach, building relationships in the street. So that's their primary role is outreach workers. There's also violence interrupters whose job, as the name suggests, is to interrupt potential gun violence from occurring. Violence interrupters do the same thing in terms of outreach, but they're also specialized in conflict mediation. And everything is relational. So you may be an outreach worker, I may be a violence interrupter, but a particular conflict is involving folks that you have a stronger relationship with as an outreach worker. You will bring me in to help triage and mediate that conflict. Then there are hospital responders who work directly with survivors of gun violence. Those folks within an hour of notification respond to a page from the hospital to a shooting survivor who's accepted support from the program. The hospital responders make sure survivors not only get medical attention they need. It's building that relationship with the survivor, identifying what their needs are. So everything from housing to drug treatment, whatever support that they need in reducing the likelihood of being re-injured or feeling the need to retaliate. And the support continues for the survivor and their family well after the physical injuries heal. Both outreach workers and violence interrupters case manage, so they're connecting with those folks on a regular basis, checking in how they're doing. And then also if there's any issues in the family, they're also triaging those issues as well. What kinds of interventions or mediations have the outreach workers and interrupters of the 414 Life Program facilitated to date? He gives an example. A gentleman coming out of his house asking a group of young men to kind of quiet down. There were some profanities exchanged, and so that conflict was about to brew into something significant where there would have been multiple shootings based on the affiliations of the folks involved. One of our interrupters was able, based on the relationship, to mediate that conflict before it escalated to an act of violence. He does see challenges for efforts like 414 Life, not the least of which... How much violence has become normalized? Unpacking and undoing that is going to take generations. And so if we don't want to have the same conversation 50 years from now, we need to do differently in terms of our investments and our actions. It really comes down to the will and the commitment to do so. Forum for Life is an intervention that's already seeing promise, and we look forward to the long-term impact that this program will have on reducing violence in our city. Next, we'll learn about medical treatments and interventions of the 414 Life program from Dr. David Milia, Trauma Medical Director and Associate Professor at Freydert and the Medical College of Wisconsin and a hospital coordinator for the 414 Life program. First, Dr. Milia explains why Freydert and the Medical College of Wisconsin are such a key partner of 414 Life. If we fully embrace 
four and four lives model, that really hinges on a true public health approach to violence prevention and integration of the public health department with medical providers in the community is a key linkage. And as we are Southeast Wisconsin's only adult level one trauma center, we have access to the victims of violent trauma very early in the course of their disease process. Next, he explains what it means to be a level one trauma center. We have to hold ourselves to a very high standard when it comes to the care of trauma patients. We have to offer the entire spectrum of trauma care from trauma surgery, neurosurgery, orthopedic surgery, plastic and reconstructive surgery, rehabilitation services, ongoing performance improvement, research, and injury prevention. And all of these together are what go into making us a level one trauma center. As trauma medical director, Dr. Milia sees the significant impact gun violence has in our community. This is a horrible public health emergency that we're facing right now. Nearly all aspects of gun violence I personally see as preventable trauma, preventable injuries and preventable deaths. And really in a spirit of true injury prevention, I see that we need to focus all of our efforts on eradicating these episodes of violent trauma. Characterizing our community's gun violence as a public health emergency is no exaggeration. Milwaukee is a small community, but our level of violence actually impacts us greatly. We rank within the top 10 to 15 major cities as far as violent crimes per capita, homicides per capita, and gun violence per capita. We are a relatively small city with such focused violence epicenters. The hope is that 414 Life can have a major impact on reducing the gun violence and related trauma seen in Freighter's emergency department. Because unlike what we see on TV and in movies, this is real. Hollywood has changed our perception of what happens when somebody gets shot. I think when you watch movies, you see one of two outcomes. Either people die from their gunshot wounds, or we see the victims of a gunshot in the next scene with a bandage over a gunshot wound, and they're going on with life as normal. But Dr. Milia and his team see the devastating, downstream, physical destruction gunshot survivors suffer. We see loss of limbs. We have patients who become paraplegic and quadriplegic. We have patients that become fully dependent on feeding tubes, tracheostomies, and ventilators. Patients that can no longer work, no longer see. The sheer destruction from the amount of energy carried by a bullet is absolutely amazing, and it never ceases to amaze me when I operate on patients the devastation a missile tract will cause within a body. And the toll from gun violence reaches far beyond the victim's physical injury. The impacts of violence go well beyond just the injured patient. It's a huge resource burden on the hospital. The loss of quality life years for our patients after they survive these wounds is astounding, and as well as the impact on the family and loved ones. This is a major turning point for families, and their lives are never the same after the loved ones have been injured. We heard earlier about the different workers that are part of the 414 Life program. So when a gunshot victim is brought into the emergency department, how do the hospital responders come into action? We will see the patient on presentation, dealing with our patient's initial threats to life, and do everything we need to do to stabilize that patient. In the background, while all of that is going on, our ED social workers will introduce our 414 Life hospital responder to the patient and offer the program to the patient. Are patients required to participate? No, but most do. Patients are in no way obligated, but we have found that the overwhelming majority of the patients do wish to proceed with the program. In fact, I will tell you, at this time, we've had 155 referrals. Fewer than five patients did not want to be part of the program. 
And while Dr. Milia works closely with hospital responders, we'll be in constant communication with respect to what's going on in the background. They don't necessarily do so in the presence of the patient. It's rare for me to be at the bedside with the hospital responder at the same time. And I think this is important to the program because it's good for the patients to be able to open up to our hospital responder in a way that they may not in front of their physician or their nurses. Considering our high level of gun violence, are repeat gunshot patients common? Yeah, this is a big part of the 414 Life program. Re-injury is extremely common in victims of violent trauma. In fact, within five years of being shot, approximately 20 to 40% of patients will be shot again. Interestingly, patients who have died as a result of their gunshot wounds, on average, 20 to 30% of those patients had been to a hospital within the past five years as a victim of a previous survivable gunshot injury. The 414 Life Program aims to lower that recidivism rate. The fundamental tenet of the program is that seeing a patient in the hospital is an opportunity to stop the vicious cycle of violent trauma. It's hard to imagine what goes through a trauma surgeon's mind when treating a gunshot victim. So we asked Dr. Milia what goes through his mind. The first dozen thoughts, what is bleeding and how do we stop it? Doing whatever we need to do to save that patient's life. After the dust settles, some of the other thoughts, what put this patient in the path of this bullet? Before we had the 414 Life program, those were just passing thoughts because there was really nothing that we could do to prevent it from happening again. It's about time that we have the ability to maybe answer those questions and maybe offer the patients a way out of the cycle of trauma. Andy says while his team treats the physical impact of gun violence, it takes a collaborative effort like 414 Life to make a patient's life whole again. There's then also the psychological impact, and we are very fortunate to have within our Division of Trauma embedded clinical psychologists who are specifically trained to deal with the emotional impacts of violent trauma in order to begin that healing process from a psychological standpoint. We'll meet one of them next. First, Dr. Milius says 414 Life gives him hope, but more than that... It gives us a tool that we've really never had before. For once, we really have the ability to extend our reach beyond the walls of Freighter Hospital to prevent re-injury and retaliation. After Dr. Milia and the trauma team save a patient from the physical devastation of a gunshot wound, there's still mental and emotional damage to overcome in making a full recovery. There's also research needed to assist in the recovery process. We'll learn about both as we bring in Kayla Pierce. Thanks, Brian. Dr. Terry Darun Cassini is a health psychologist and associate professor at Freighter and the Medical College of Wisconsin and another hospital coordinator for the 414 Life Program. She's an expert in helping survivors of traumatic experiences cope with their outcome. And she says violence functions much like the flu, which she explained. If you look at how violence functions, it functions very similarly to any other sort of infectious disease in that when someone has an outbreak of violence, if they are inflicted by a violent experience, individuals around them are more likely to experience violence as well. For example, someone might come here with a gunshot wound and their family members might be enraged and they may feel a sense of desire to retaliate. And so then it spreads. Like the flu, 
But is there evidence to support this? We see through cluster mapping that's been done both in the city of Milwaukee and all the major metropolitan cities across the country where you can see how violence clusters. And part of that is because of the interpersonal nature of violence. The violence tends to fester and spread within that community and therefore cluster. And so if somebody is infected with the flu and they're around other people, they're more likely to get infected with the flu. And same thing with violence. She says research has discovered many of the conditions which have led people to act violently in and against our community. There's a long-standing culture of segregation and oppression, particularly in the city of Milwaukee, that has led to high rates of unemployment. There's experiences of racial tension that have led individuals in certain communities for lots of reasons, being in a state where they're constantly looking to survive. And being in that survival mode comes with consequences. Psychological consequences, biological consequences, and it puts people in situations where they're constantly looking for threat because they know that that's what they need to do to survive. And it's also readying them to protect themselves. And sometimes, unfortunately, certain answers are with guns. Dr. Darun Cassini says research also shows that exposure to violence can increase a person's risk of adopting violent behavior themselves. What we know from a lot of research is that exposure to violence puts somebody 30 times greater risk for experiencing either being a victim of violence or being a perpetrator of violence. And I'm talking about not just a one-off of violence exposure. I'm talking about individuals hearing gunshots, seeing individuals being injured, seeing explosive behavior. And that constant exposure often has significant consequences for the brain. The brain is responsible for that fight-or-flight response to protect themselves, to flee, to act, or to freeze. And over time, the brain learns that there's constant threat, which in turn kind of leads to behavior that is aggressive or impulsive, or on the flip side, withdrawn or depressed. So the individual's neurobiology is reinforced by the behavior, and the behavior is reinforced by the neurobiology. With 414 Life having launched less than a year ago, it's a bit early to know how effective the program is locally. The program started May 6th, and since May 6th, we've had 155 referrals, which means we've had 155 gunshot wound survivors that have been referred to the program. We're in what we call a feasibility stage. We've come into barriers or obstacles, which we knew would happen, and so in this feasibility stage, we're working through those barriers and obstacles. However, what she does know is that similar programs across the country are working to reduce gun violence. Ceasefire down in Chicago was one of the first to start the Cure Violence model, and there's clear data to suggest that there's a significant reduction in both homicides and non-fatal shootings. There's data from Maryland and New York and from San Francisco that demonstrate a significant reduction in both homicides and non-fatal shootings. Following the feasibility phase, what being evaluated next. The next phase of what we're going to be doing from an evaluation standpoint is to see are the individuals in the 4 and 4 Life program more engaged in their health care, their follow-up surgical visits, their follow-up mental health visits as a result of their injury. Are they more likely to follow up because we're providing better and more culturally sensitive care? And then? The third phase of the program is to see, are we having an impact on the likelihood of those individuals being either victims or perpetrators of violence? It's too early to do that now, but down the road, that will be the third phase in our evaluation. 
But while being optimistic, Dr. David Milia says it's important to be realistic in giving the 414 Life program time to work. We may not see reductions in violence early in the program. And this is a long-term program. We really need to look at what five and ten years from now will bring, not judge us based on the overall violent events in the city of Milwaukee too early with the inception of the program. We see a lot of people saying, is it working? And I think the answer is yes, but... Anecdotally, there are signs that the program is working. We had a particular case where the survivor was going to have permanent disability for the rest of his life. The family voiced clear desire to retaliate because they knew exactly who did it. The hospital responder called in two additional interrupters. Some of our interrupters have been to prison and they can legitimately say it's not worth it. None of us can say that, but now we're providing the third rung of care that we've always been missing, and we can provide very comprehensive, holistic care for our gunshot wound survivors. She says they're also holding each other accountable in making sure patients and their families are treated appropriately and fairly. We had a very emotional conversation about one of our gunshot wound patients and their family members, and they were treated not right. We are committed to using our ability to provide the best care possible to our gunshot wound survivors, to also make sure that patients understand that they're valued. Reflecting what we heard from Reggie Moore earlier. Anyone who comes into the hospital is coming in as a victim first and should be treated as such. Dispelling the stigma that only bad people are involved in gun violence. I think there is a stigma, and I think it's a stigma that's unfounded. Next, Dr. Darun Cassini shared what it's like working on healing emotional scars gun violence can leave. Think about our military personnel recovering in an environment where their lives are no longer a threat. And then if you think about inner city trauma survivors injured in their home or in their neighborhood or down the block, they come here and their lives are saved and then they go back knowing that this is where they almost died. And recovery from the emotional scars often continues long after the physical injuries heal. We have patients in our outpatient trauma psychology clinic. They don't go to bed at night. They pace the house and look out the windows checking to make sure no one is out there to harm them having degraded sense of well-being, a heightened sense of emotionality, and a lack of trust. An important part of her role in the 414 Life program is finding new and better interventions for gun violence survivors. We're still behind the times as far as providing culturally sensitive evidence-based interventions. And by that I mean if you have an individual who was shot in their home and the person that was behind the shooting lives a block down the street, is it really post-traumatic? stress disorder, when they're still living in the environment where the threat for further violence is very real. What does she specifically focus on in addressing patients' insecurities after survival? It's a lot of focus on managing significant emotional dysregulation that comes after trauma and this shift in worldview that occurs from a place that, yes, violence happens, but it's not happening to me, to violence in my neighborhood happens and I'm a target. And this shift in worldview can further perpetuate anxieties for an individual. And because 414 Life is a collaborative effort. One of the things that we've done too is incorporate the 414 Life personnel in helping us to allay any fears that might be related to the other side of the conflict. Because when someone is shot in their home or in their neighborhood, even though they may have survived, it doesn't mean that conflict's over. Which means victims could be susceptible to future violence and often are. Remember what Dr. David Milia told us? Within five years of being shot, approximately 20 to 40 percent of patients will be shot again. Patients who have died as a result of their gunshot wounds, 20 to 30 percent of those patients had been to a hospital within the past five years as a victim of a previous survivable gunshot injury. 
those sobering statistics themselves validate the absolute need for the 414 Life program. This is a population of patients that we have failed in a lot of ways because we haven't provided the best care possible. Allowing the 414 Life team an opportunity to come here and us supporting them and them supporting us has been amazing. We need to prevent the likelihood of our patients dying from gunshots. And we know that the mortality rate is really high when someone survives a gunshot wound for a future episode of violence. Therefore, it is imperative that these individuals get this care. Finally, what does Dr. Darun Cassini believe will be essential future research to ensure the ongoing success of 414 Life? I'm glad you asked because it's something that we're trying to tackle within our own research team. I think we need to push research in trauma survivors to understand the socio-environmental impact of not just where they're coming from, but where we're returning them to. Resource deprivation impacts one's health, including their physical health and their psychological health. Our inner city patients are experiencing less nutritious food, exposed to high levels of stress because of violence in their community, exposed to a lot of housing instability, exposed to unemployment, and all of these things that we know have physical and psychological consequences. So we're trying to push the needle on understanding particularly those highly disadvantaged after trauma because of these socio-environmental circumstances, and also pushing the needle on what do we need to do to help communities where they are overburdened by the disease of trauma. If you want to learn more about 414 Life, we'll post a link on our CTSI website along with the podcast of this show. That's all the time we have for this edition of CTSI Discovery Radio. Our sincere thanks to today's guests, Reggie Moore, Dr. David Milia, and Dr. Terry Darun Cassini. I hope you've discovered something by listening to today's show, and I'm doubly hopeful that you'll join us again next time. CTSI Discovery Radio airs the third Friday of every month. Make an appointment on your calendar and join us for each episode. On behalf of the Clinical and Translational Science Institute of Southeast Wisconsin and all of our affiliate partners and members, along with Kayla Pierce, I'm Brian Belmer, wishing you happier, healthier, and safer days ahead. For more information about research or to listen to the podcast of this or any of our shows, please visit our website at ctsi.mcw.edu. You'll also find it wherever you listen to your other favorite podcasts. CTSI Discovery Radio is written, produced, and hosted by Brian Belmer in collaboration with WMSE Radio. The CTSI and this program are under the direction of Dr. Reza Shakir.